intuition does not have an emotional baggage weight attached to no it. No bag of beans. No bag no of beans, bag of beans. On the in-, in the intuition <laughs> is bag of beanless. Welcome to Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez. And I'm Alyssa Grushka. And today we're going to talk about intuition. Bean, you ready? Always. Hello. Hi. Can we just full disclosure and say oh. we recorded the first episode of this year at the end of last year? We did so this, say that last year. Oh, so this is episode. our first episode back face-to-face in 2024. Happy New Year for real. Happy New Year. It feels delightful to be here. How are your intentions going? Uh, I haven't done tons of them. <laughs> Awkward. But if you saw my reel on Instagram the other day, that's because I'm going to wait till the spring. Oh, yeah. I like that you said that. Thank Persian you. New Year all the way. Persian New Year for the win. My attitude is that this idea that we're going to come back and be like ready to roll on January 2nd and right. 3rd is toxic positivity bullshit, and I don't like it. We're still foggy. We're, We're still so just foggy. trying to work our way out of the hibernation. Like, give us a minute, you know? Right. And the holiday, like, everything just happened, and then we're supposed to just get back on that pony and, and run? And what? ride it. <laughs> get on the pony and trot? I mean, I'm not ready for this. I need a minute right now. This is how I feel when you guys yeah. ask me to record at 8.30 a.m. Pacific time. <laughs> I need a sacred pause right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, Bean, what do you got for me? Anything cringy happened to you this week or delightful? Well, I'm going to say my delight, honestly, is being back here and seeing your face because even though we still communicate a ton over the break, yeah. I really like to see your face. And I didn't I realize know. how much I, I like to see your face you. until we started doing this podcast together. And then I was like, I love seeing her face every week. Right? You just realized it after 20 years this year? Kind, well, because we always kept in touch, but I like I didn't, we didn't feel see each like, other's face though. That's why. Maybe because we've gotten I'm addicted. Oh, I see. Right. Thanks for catching I'm up. I'm explaining your feelings. Thanks for getting here. Yes. Hello. Yeah. I like to see your face now. That's what I'm saying. And I missed your face not seeing it over the December I got break. It. Okay. I'm okay. very confused today. <laughs> I noticed. I was trying to explain to her my other cringe moment of the morning, which was when I drove through Starbucks line and just drove right by the ordering screen, <laughs> right up to the window like a jack. And tell them the nice thing the person in front oh, of you Oh, and then did. they said, oh, the gentleman in front of you paid for you. I said, that's impossible because I unconsciously drove by and forgot to place an order. So you missed your... Free drink. I did. I missed the gentleman ahead of me was trying to pay it forward, and I sure messed it up. But I think he did pay for the person behind me. That's really nice. It was really. It ha- I'm not going to lie. It is not the first time that's happened at that Starbucks. It happens a lot there. I live in a wow. lovely little area. I know. Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Shout Bucks out again. County. Yeah, I feel like I got to give it the respect it deserves. Home of the Bernstein Bears. Home of the- and And paying it forward in the Starbucks line. That's anyway, right. you got anything for me? I, you know what? Something happened what? on New Year's Eve. I wouldn't call it cringy, but it was Ooh. upsetting. And then <gasps> it wasn't. It was great. It went from like a upsetting to a delight. So I forgot to ask. 
What? About your New Year's Eve, if you oh. able you were able to see live music. I know that was your number one We did one go goal. see live music. Okay, was, great. We actually, so quickly, New Year's mm-hmm. Eve, we've spent the week between Christmas and New Year's Day in Tahoe, where TJ grew up for the last 10 years with all four kids. It's like our tradition. And part of what we do is like have a house thing where we like, we'll go to a friend's house for fondue that she always does, which is really mm-hmm. mountainy fondue. and sweet. But we're always home. So this year I was like, TJ, I really want to go like dance and have music and, yeah. you know, festivities. Get it up. Yeah. So we went to the village. The village had this uh, bar called, called the Plaza Bar where there's fireworks Ooh. outside of it. And they celebrate <gasps> East Coast New Year's first, which is so great because you can be an old person and be real happy that there. That is so great. Works. <laughs> yeah. And so they, the bar that had a DJ – had a balloon drop and you could see them like waiting in the nets, all the balloons. And I was so excited. So I'm like positioning myself under the balloons. Nice. Like dancing. I'm, I'm not moving. Ooh. No one's going to push me out of the way. TJ's like, okay, I will protect your space. We're dancing, dancing. And then it turns 9 p.m. midnight in the East Coast and the balloons drop and I'm like screaming and I'm hitting the balloons and I'm so excited. Yes. And TJ yes. has this on video, by the way. He's videoing me because he's so entertained by it. And you can hear him be like, here comes one, hit it. And I go to hit it. And this ring. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Oh, I thought you were going to miss it and fall. No. The, oh, wow. The water almost came out of my nose. Yeah. No. Okay. So this ring. So I'm. For those of you who are not watching on YouTube, I'm showing this ring on my necklace because this ring that I used to wear on my pinky. Okay. When TJ's mom Casey passed away, who I was very close to, his dad gave me this ring. This was her wedding Aww. ring. Okay. And look how tiny That's it is. Beautiful. It fits on my pinky. And when I was like hanging out one day, I looked inside of it. It has an inscription from 1924. Come to find out it's her mom's wedding ring. So this is no TJ's way. grandmother's wedding ring from 1924. That's so beautiful. Bean, yeah. I never knew that. I love it. I wear it on my pinky constantly. However, right? it's freezing in Tahoe. And you know what happens when you're cold? You your shrink, fingers you shrink. I'm hitting these balloons. So excited. I go to hit this balloon and the ring flies off oh, my no. hand across the bar and I'm like, oh my God, my ring, which you hear on the video, video shuts off. Anyway, I like, we turned our flashlights on. There's like hundreds of people. There's balloons all over the ground. We're moving oh, people no. out of the way, trying to like get to the ring. And I'm like, there's no way. Like, how am I going to find oh, no. a, bar, you know, 930 at night in a bar with balloons everywhere? I'm panicked. And I know that you have it because I visually, I can see it, but I'm see still it. panicked that you're not going to find it in the end of the story. I was so upset. I was like, we're going to go home. This is the end of our night. Forget the live music we're about to see. Yeah. And I actually, this is a good transition to our topic. I am like so at my wits end. I finally just like, I'm like, Nana, please. We call her Nana. Please. I beg you help me find this ring. I do not want to lose your mom's wedding band. And as soon as I say it, this little girl, and you know how much I love kids. This little girl is like, hey, and she hits the balloon in my face. And I'm like smiling at her. I hit it back. She catches it. She steps aside. It was under her foot. (gasps) Nana. Isn't that awesome? Totally awesome. Super duper awesome. Super duper awesome. I'm so happy for Nana and you and that little girl for... Did you want to finish your thought? No. I was just going to transition. I was just going to transition to the topic. I saw. (laughs) I saw that it was trying to happen. But clearly it was an awkward moment. I was actually going to say, (laughs) forget it. I'm just going to introduce our topic and say that you're a purpose and intuition coach. And (laughs) we 
<laughs> Great story. Glad you found the ring. By the way, I've started just saying intuition, Coach. I just cut the purpose right Why? out. I like purpose. Mm. We can talk about I that I think later. it's totally different, but fine. We can talk about it later. But I actually really like purpose. I think it's more pointed. Intuition, as we're going to discuss, feels uh, a lot like larger and almost, l- in my mind, less tangible than purpose. Which is my purpose is to make it more tangible for Ooh. you folks. So let's do it, shall we? We shall. We re- we did a whole episode on higher self, which you always talk about, but you also always refer to intuition a lot. Um, so we decided to do an entire thing on intuition. And what I was going to say, which when I attempted to transition poorly, was why is that example intuition? Because it doesn't. That didn't feel like intuition to me. That uh-huh. felt like. I don't know what you would even call it. Like you were divine intervention. More than correct. So I'm asking you why that was a good transition. Boom. Thank you. I think that all of those things live in the same category. I think that, and I'm going to define it for you and I'll talk to you about like how philosophers have defined it and give you a tiny history, of course. Wow. But thank you. Before we get there, I think that it's about a conversation with the unseen. It's about having faith in that dialogue. And so I think that for me, like being able to call on her in that moment and ask her for her help and then pay attention to the sign she sent me, which was a little kid, instead of be so in my head and intellectually be like, kid, I don't have time for you and to play balloon, but to turn towards this kid, that felt intuitive to me. That is super fascinating, actually. Because I was going to say, it's like, it it is like a gut feeling, correct or incorrect? Yes. That is, correct. you think that's another interchangeable word for intuition. That's in our culture, how we like talk about it casually is, I have a feeling in my gut. Like how the dummies say it. That's what I say. <laughs> it's intuition for dummies. My gut is dummies. telling me. <laughs> intuition for dummies, your gut. No, it's a common term. Yes. For yes, intuition. They're yeah. interchangeable. Yeah. Fantastic. What about when you have a a vision or like a premonition, a sense that something's coming? Is that sort of the same? Absolutely. Same category. Okay. Even visions, do you count that as your intuition? What do you mean by visions? Like seeing something that's going to, how it's going to play out in the future. Yes, 100%. Whoa. Okay. Um, Yeah. And how did you, have you always listened to your intuition? Yeah. I mean, so I think so. I, when I was little, I would know things were going to happen before they happened. But little things, like not, I don't know, it wasn't like I was predicting a war or an earthquake. (laughs) It was like- You're not Nostradamus. No, I was not Nostradamus. I remember being like eight or nine and having a dream that my mom asked me to go check the mail and I ran out and checked the mail and there was a envelope from Iran. And back in the day when they sent letters, international letters, it was like red, blue, and white around yeah, the envelope. Yeah, I remember. And so that red, blue, and white was there. And then I opened it in my dream and there's a card. It was Noru's Persian New Year. And there's a white rose with a black background and it's from my uncle. And waking up that next day before I even get a chance to tell my mom about the dream, which I wouldn't have because it was so random. She asked me to go check the mail and it exactly went down exactly like that. Opened it. There's the envelope. Open it. Black background, white rose. Like little things like that would happen to me a lot. But I also grew up with a mom who had a fear of these kinds of intuitive gifts because when she was little, she went with a family member who was going to see a psychic. 
Mm-hmm. And the psychic told this family member that her mom was going to die really right, young, which right. is super unethical. You're never yeah. supposed to do that. Yeah. And it terrified her and the woman was wrong, but her dad did end up dying really young. So I think they just had the wrong parent. But anyway, so my mom had a major fear of this kind of stuff and she didn't really encourage it, nor would she um, allow me to explore it. So I never understood what it was. And sometimes it felt like I was crazy. So then how did you even get to a place where your basically entire career is devoted to people finding their own intuition? That's such a good question. <laughs> Why, thank you. It came from doing crisis management, honestly. I went into a career that was oh. PR and marketing and branding, and then it turned into crisis management. And it was about spending all this time with these leaders and knowing, first of all, what the answer was a lot of the time for them and not being able to put you know, my finger on why, uh, knowing how people felt about things and being able to guide them through it and coach them through it when they're in the middle of a crisis or a big change in an organization. And then starting to just get so, what's the word? Not disoriented, but like down and out on my corporate job and on how much it was taking away my ability to trust myself. Because in corporate culture, we really are taught that it's about the collective and about data and what you need to do to fit in. And that was really becoming hard for me. It was limiting. It was contracting. I was getting really depressed. I was really having a hard time. And I had you know one of these moments of like, holy shit, what is it that I'm actually doing? What is my purpose? Am I is my purpose to to run into these fires for people and just write a bunch of messages that they don't even mean and right. then they say them and we're helping them build trust with other people but they don't actually mean it. And uh that's when I started just like go on this journey. You guys met Raya. I I met Raya. I started spending a lot of time with Raya who's my mentor and you know, an intuitive and just starting to go back to those gifts of being a kid and understanding, oh, that's how you did your job. It's because you had this intuitive knowing. And oh, by the way, everybody has it. And we're just trained not to believe in it because we are trained that if you can't see it, you can't believe it. One, and if it's not coming to you from an external source, it is not valuable Two, which is dangerous because then we believe other people more than we believe ourselves. Then we work harder for other people's dreams than we do our own. And suddenly we are in a world of trouble, which is what I find us in right now. And I feel like my purpose is to help us go back to trusting ourselves so we can come back together at a higher frequency. Even hearing you say what you would do for corporations brings me back to when I first met you. And I didn't really, I didn't have language for in terms of intuition, but I was always like, she always knows what's going on. Like I would ask you any question any day and like you always had the answer. I was like, what is this magician? And it was, witchcraft. it was so witchcraft. I'd be like, I'll just ask him every time. I'd be like, I'll just ask Maury. I'll just ask Maury. She'll tell me what the answer is. But now I got to find it myself. No more. Yeah. I know, right. but I can't. But I can't. No, I mean, you get to ask me. But my dream is that everyone just finds it for themselves because it's in there. And I think that like yeah. we've been taught that some people are intuitive and others aren't. And I'm here to say all of us are intuitive. You've yeah. just shut it down for a number of reasons, which we've talked about on this podcast over and over again, and I'll touch on today, but mostly because we've been taught not to trust it. I know you and your history buffness have oh, a little yeah. history, a little background for me, and I'm I'm itching to hear it. 
Okay. All right. So I'm going to tell us a little bit about intuition over time, how it was mm. thought of in the ancient world, how it was, how it's changed over time and where we've landed today. Oh. And then because I know you over there in your little lab coat like to <laughs> think about science, I'll try to tell you what science thinks about intuition okay. today. I like data. I can't help I it. I know you do. You do. And, and unfortunately, in modern society, data has been held up as the counterpoint to intuition. And in fact, I think that some of the stuff that I've been reading about how science is looking at it now is that they can coexist. So yes. I'll tell you how. Which is how I'm trying to open my mind since the last year or two, feeling yeah. the same way. Like I can feel that way, but also be open to understanding this other side. Yes. And. It's and. All about and. Not but or or. Not but. Okay, so let's get into some definitions. Um, So the general definition of intuition, if you look it up, is the ability to acquire knowledge without recourse to conscious reasoning or needing an explanation. Okay. Or direct access to unconscious knowledge. Mm, That I love. Right? I love it too. Yeah. I think it's so simple. And what's that definition saying? It's like we just have a knowing without tapping into the conscious mind. And we only use that small part of our brain. Like what else is going on in there? It's That's right. maybe a part of our intuition is just coming from parts of our brain that we aren't aren't as activated. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it comes from the Latin word inturi, Ooh. which means knowledge from within, which I really love. And oh, by right. the way, thank God I did research for this podcast before the book revisions are due because I had not included that in my book about intuition. Oh, that could be like your intro. I know. Knowledge from within, which is exactly what the book is about. It's called The All-Knowing You. So Go buy it. it, Go buy it next year. (laughs) So then let's think about different philosophies and religions and how they look at it. So Buddhism defines intuition as immediate knowledge beyond the mental process of conscious thinking. So very similar. Zen Buddhism takes it a step further and says it's a mental state between the universal mind, and one's individual discriminating mind. So Mm. I really love thinking about it like this, because what I'm hearing in this Zen Buddhist definition is that there is this universal consciousness, which is a collective consciousness that we are all connected to, which I've talked about as well. Um, We talked about in the reincarnation episode, right? Like there is this collective consciousness we're all attached to, Then there's the individual consciousness of our human selves and intuition in Zen Buddhism is that space in between the two. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yes, but I thought it was really just the individual experience. I didn't think it was an in-between. Yeah, or a connection to something bigger, which I absolutely believe that it is. It's about connecting to a larger consciousness. Oh, I thought it was about going inward into your own consciousness. Yeah, but they're the same thing because if you're part of a larger consciousness, then you have bits and pieces of that within you. I see. I see. Go. In Islam, the word is hadas in Arabic, which means hitting correctly on the mark. So it also shows up as intuition being a knowledge that's acquired through illumination and is mystical in nature. Uh, is the way it's defined in Islam, and then prophetic in nature. So obviously that prophets have this ability to intuit divine conversations with the beyond. Turning to psychology, the earliest mention and trace is of intuition is to Plato in 348 BC 
in right his here. paper, Socratic paper, The Republic, which he discusses philosophy and political theory. He defines it as a fundamental capacity of human reason to comprehend the true nature of reality. Whoa, right? Plato. Yeah. And then also defines it as pre-existing knowledge residing in the soul of eternity. Ooh, I like that Don't one. Don't you love the these definitions? Yeah, I really like that one. The soul of eternity. Yeah. And so Greek philosophy thinks about intuition as accessing knowledge that's always there but in a dormant form. Got it. So when we talk about this collective consciousness and the in-between, I kind of feel like all of these definitions, if you look at Buddhism and Islam and Plato and all of these things are basically saying different fragments of the same thing, which is yeah. that we have access to a knowledge that we cannot see that is beyond us, that is connected to greater consciousness, eternity, the soul of eternity, but connected to something mystical and bigger and much more profound and wiser than what we can see. I mean, this feels like a pass the joint kind of moment right now, <laughs> right? Puff, puff, pass for this one. Don't you feel yeah. that way? Even I do. It's feel, I feel that way about a lot of our episodes. Yeah, totally. Like, totally right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Kind of feel like that's. I'm here for it. My life. <laughs> yeah. My whole life is love a it. puff, puff, pass moment. Uh, I love that. The other thing I just want, you know, I I think that when we think about intuition, we also think about how it's been vilified in history, or we should. Yes. Uh, and so, if you think about its connection to witchcraft intuition and divination. Our cousins or sisters, Romans and Greeks talked about different kinds of divination, natural divination, meaning dreams, visions, oracles. They also had a separate category called technical divination, which is interpreting signs. So they would look at spots on the livers of animals to try to divine something for, you know, a king or a queen or someone who's asking you what they should do about a war that they want to fight. Yeah, they would look at flight patterns of birds and divine from those flight patterns what could be happening. So they call that technical divination, but natural divination is the dreams, the visions, the oracles. And what some of the philosophers that I read talk about is that intuition is inherent in both of those kinds of divination, that you have to be able to connect to this unseen knowledge to yeah. make what you're going to make out of these signs and these dreams and these visions. Uh, and then famously, Alexander the Great visited an oracle after conquering Egypt in 332 BC. So you see a lot of conversation in the ancient world about intuition, the value of intuition, this connection to this larger consciousness, and then enters the Bible. Bible says, no, no, no. We are not allowed <laughs> to be any no, no, divination, no. none of that. Um, particularly in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it categorically says that divination is 100% forbidden. And that's how you start to see those laws and rules be used to accuse people of heresy, which was really a way of just getting rid of dangerous people to the church and to monarchies and kingdoms. So if it was convenient to get rid of an opponent, a wife that you wanted to get rid of so you could marry someone nice. else, Henry VIII. Nice. No names, no names. No, we're not dropping names. We would, we would then you know, say that they were committing heresy, uh, which is an act against the church because they're breaking this Deuteronomy or Leviticus rule of divination and accuse them of witchcraft. If you haven't listened to our witch episode from Halloween, go back and listen to that. Spooky. But we talk about the history of the witch trials and how all of this plays into um, accusing a lot of innocent people of dark magic because of their 
divination intuitive. or intuitive abilities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then finally, I'll end it here. The Age of Enlightenment comes around in Europe in the 1600s. And <sighs> that's say really- say that so aggressively? Because in Europe- you know what? You know what? why? I'll tell you. No. Oh. <laughs> we learn about the Age of Enlightenment in high school like it is a global phenomenon. Right. And that is because we are taught that colonial things are global phenomenon. So when something was happening in Europe, like the Dark Ages, right, which is the 1400s, or the Age of Enlightenment after that, um, they never, I don't think, specified for us that, hey, this is something we're teaching you about one continent. This right. isn't a global phenomenon. So I just feel like it's important to say, I'm oh, not talking to you about what's uh, going on in China or in different countries in Africa or in the Middle East. This right, is a European right. thing. Just the white people. Isn't that a good – I mean, it's an important distinction. I totally agree. And I was only mocking you originally about your the, the intense way you said <laughs> Europe, but it turns out there was a reason. See? My apologies. But in the Age of Enlightenment, really what they're trying to do is – speak out against the oppression that was happening through the church and through different monarchies and governments that were starting wars. And so they were really trying to push people towards reason. So it's also called the age of reason. And the three values of the age of enlightenment was reason, individualism, and skepticism. Those are their three values. Voltaire is known for that. And as a part of that, intuition gets wrapped up in being seen as something that is prehistoric, ancient, not enlightened. And so in addition to the church making it out to be something evil, the Age of Enlightenment that is trying to fight the oppression of the church also says we don't love intuition because it's not connected to reason. And that's when you see the scientific age explode. And then finally, I'll end it with Freud who absolutely does not believe in intuition and says the only reason is the reason that you can come to through intellectual observation. Interesting. Yeah. So all of that to say, no wonder we haven't been taught to value intuition. There is a long, long, long history of villainizing intuition because it works better for collective systems of power for us not to be connected to our inner knowing, for us not to be connected to this wealth, this reservoir of understanding that exists within us, and to instead trust other people and become cattle. But then what would it look like if we were all really tapped in? Exactly. Isn't that such an exciting question? Yes. But like, what would it look like? I mean, would there be no power? Would there be no authority? And we'd all just be like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do right now. Well, I don't know that it would be that black and white, but I do think that where we would rest power and authority might change and what we would allow might change and how we would expect those that represent us to show up might change rather than accepting what's, yeah, rather than accepting what it is we're being told is true because, you know, like for example, in this country, we're one political party or another. So we just have to believe (sighs) what they say. You know, it's more about, well, wait a minute, what's what's the truth that I'm sensing and how do you hold people accountable to coming to you from that frequency of truth instead of lying to gain power? Interesting. That's my perspective. 
Anyway, in science, I told you I'd give you a little bit of a scientific view. Intuition is still something that science is trying to wrap its head around. There are some scientists over the last hundred years and more recently that um, have said that, listen, intuition is a part of our ability to reason and in fact tie intuition to a hypothesis in the scientific model. So it's a thought that comes up to you or comes up for you out of wherever It's not important to scientists what that is. What's important is that that thought is then used to do research and find data to prove that thought, that hypothesis to be accurate. So there's many scientists, particularly recently, that say, yeah, intuition is part of the process because that's where that hypothesis comes up from that intuitive place. And then we do the work to research and prove it. What do you think about that, though? Because according to what you typically say, our intuition is our knowing. It's not a hypothesis. It's been... It's, it's already proven because it's, it's just our inner knowing or exists. Yeah. And I can say that because I'm not a scientist and I don't need to follow a model that demands proof, right? right. My job right. is to teach all of us that the proof is in your life. The right. proof is in looking back at how your intuition has guided you and saved you in the past. But if it is a way that the scientific model comes to all of these great advancements and explorations, then I absolutely think, yeah, it's wonderful that it's being accepted in that way. And I agree. I mean, I think that like so many of the advancements, like Einstein believed in intuition, so many of the things that just come up for people are coming from this unseen source of knowledge and is part of their purpose. They were supposed to stumble upon that and then use it to prove something out or invent something with. I can't really think that's because I have a horrible memory, but I can't really think of how intuition has, what did you, what was the language you just used? You said kept me safe or something along those lines. Yeah. How intuition has shown up in your life to either guide you in the right direction or keep you safe or get you something that you wanted or make you avoid something that was not best for you. I have a good story actually that I asked a client. But do you have any? No, I'm wondering. I can't really rem- I can't really think of how intuition has guided me much. Like I have small examples, but I don't have like this overarching feeling of how it's because I don't think I'm as in touch with it as I can be. Hmm. Do you have any mm-hmm. examples of Yeah, I mean intuition I think- in your life? I think it's shown up probably more recently in my life. I think since becoming a mother, I definitely have some unspoken sense about my children. Um, Like I know for some reason, often I will know, even if nothing has happened or there was nothing happened, I'll know if one of my children is coming home upset from school before I see them. I don't know how I know it, right? but I can often tell like... uh, something's coming in. And, but then I wonder, maybe I picked up on some nonverbal cues like earlier in the morning, or I don't know. I, I I always second guess myself in the, in those ways. Like, but, but I know that I'm right. I just don't know how I arrived at it. If it was my intuition or if it was like some other ability to pick up on some things that other people wouldn't typically notice. And specifically because I am a mother and I pay more attention to my children's nonverbal cues. Yeah, probably. Actually, it's it's interesting you say that because sometimes when you look up intuition in a scientific or like a psychological definition today, yeah. they will talk about intuition being knowledge you have based on a whole array of past experiences that right. you 
pull together that allows you to detect things. I don't agree that that is what that is. And in fact, I told you up top that I was going to define intuition by also separating it from a word that it's commonly mistakenly connected to, which is instinct. So instinct is Mm. actually our physiological as a species and other animals have this as well. Um, physiological response to past data, past experiences that have happened not only to us, but to our ancestors as well. So that we understand that something that's growing on a tree that's red could be dangerous to eat instinctually because of the data that's been passed down genetically to us and through past experience. That's instinct. Intuition isn't about the past. It's, It's about understanding something in the present moment, not connected to any past experience, that is just a full body knowing. Your cells just are like, yep, I just know that to be true. So has there ever been anything in your life where you just knew? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I'm going to actually get to them in a second. I have a question and I'll forget it if I don't ask. I don't know if this is intuition or this is what I was just referring to again about like some awareness of small clues and cues that I don't realize I'm picking up. Like I will often know if we have plans with someone or I'm doing something, I often get the sense of whether or not it's actually going to happen. Mm. Yeah. Um, Not in like a, I predicted this, but like if we have dinner plans or something with family friends and it's three days out, I don't know if I can tell by like the tone of people's texts or I just get these feelings. Like, I don't think it's going to actually go down. And I don't know why and I don't know how, but I've always sort of been like that. Like, I just have a sense of like, this person's going to cancel or, but I always assumed it's just like, I, I must, or like, I, even with you, I have a sense of like when something's wrong with you and we haven't spoken. I have it with you and like a small handful of other people I'm very close with that I think, but then I wonder like, is it because I'm not getting something that I normally get from them? So then I'm aware something's off. Or do I just know? I can't. How do you know which is which? Well, but just being aware that something's off is intuitive. But that could be like, let's just say I read, let's say it's my sister and we are normally texting and I, I, and I'm not. You read into her. I read into like her, her, right. Her language, her lack of language, the timing in which she's texting me. I can often tell if she's like having a good day or a bad day. But I think to myself, that must be a lot of things that I've learned over the years about this person. I don't have that knowing about people I don't know well. I only have it about people I'm exceptionally close with. Yeah. And you know what? That might be where you are being instinctual, right? You are reading a pattern of behavior that you have really like keenly understood about me or your sister. And so then you know that something is up. But I also think you could be intuiting I mean, there's times you and I are not even texting and you'll text me out of the balloon like, Bean, what's wrong? Yeah. Right? Right. Right. So What's that all about? Exactly. That's that's the access to this greater body of knowledge beyond that or from within, which is the same thing, um, that is inexplicable. It's it's a knowing that you have. I'd say my hardest examples, like firm is, I I think I've said this before and I don't know how, but I knew I was going to have my son. Yeah. Like we were done having kids. We weren't doing anything else, but like, I just in all every area of my body knew that I was going to get a third child and I suspected it was going to be a boy. I don't know why. 
Um, that and this other really strange thing, which I don't know if I've ever even told anyone and it sounds really ridiculous, but after we lost my last dog and we were looking for a new dog, I kept saying, you're going to end up with this black and white dog. It just kept like coming to me and I ended up with this black and white dog. Not because I was seeking it out. It just is like, we looked at a bunch of dogs, but that's the one that stuck. I don't know though. Maybe I planted that seed. You know, I get in my head. I'm like, is it me? Is it, did I pick up on something? How do I know which part of me is my intuition and which part is me picking up on some sort of outside cues that I'm just not aware of? Yeah. Oh, you want me to tell you how? Yeah. Like I bet every, I bet the majority of people experience their intuition in the way that I'm talking about. Like they, because we are taught not to trust it. So you, you sense something and then you're like, that kid, I couldn't have predicted that. I couldn't have known that. Like it must've right. been like the way she was looking or the way that they didn't text me this or, so how do you differentiate what is actual just knowing and what is something you've gleaned from a lot of unseen, unheard cues around you? Yeah. So when I am teaching intuition to my clients, which is what I spend most every day, all day doing, yes, I break it into three categories. But before I get into three categories, I want to tell you what I distinguish intuition against. Okay. Because intuition is informing your decisions and your actions all day long. Okay. We don't hear it. One, because of what I laid out earlier, which is that we have been taught to trust external data, external opinions and ideas over the internal process. And that is, let me repeat, so that external systems can have control over us. That is why we've been taught that. And I want everyone to know that because that awareness hopefully creates a rebellion within us that says, wait a minute, if I'm being taught to trust another system over myself so that they can have power over me, there's something inherently wrong with that construct. And I'm going to hopefully turn towards being curious about my own internal wisdom. So that's why I repeat it so many times. But number one, we don't hear that intuition because of what we're taught. But number two, we don't hear that intuition because there is a an internal system that is far louder, that has been being fed for far longer in our lifetimes, which is our fear voice. Right. And that fear voice is coming from all of the pain, all of the trauma, all of the suffering that we experienced as children and coming up in the world. And that fear voice has decided in order to protect you from this pain and suffering and discomfort, I have to constantly be shouting through a bullhorn at you about what you should be doing and thinking and how you should carry yourself and how you should operate in the world to stay safe. So your fear voice entire job is to protect you and keep you safe. Right. Your intuition is trying to push you to expand, which is risky. And it's trying to push you to thrive, which is such a different frequency than survival. So when you have these two voices competing for your attention within you, the one that we've been trained to listen to as a way to stay vigilant and intelligent and smart is the fear voice, right? Pay attention to the way the media gets our attention. It's through negative stories, fear-based things. We don't have a news channel that's devoted to positive shit that goes down in the world. There right? are a couple on Instagram, by the way, which I find to be there are, I know. so pleasurable. Because they're so rare. They are so rare. And it's just such a little light in your day. 
Yeah. So there's all of these different stimuli we have in our culture that says fear is vigilance. It is intelligence, right? So because of that, that fear voice, I want you to think about it like a muscle on the left side of your body that's been overdeveloped. You're doing a bunch of dumbbell rows just on the left side of your body. So that muscle is big and it is profound and it is loud. This muscle on the right side, this intuitive muscle, we have not been trained to develop. So it is quieter. It is more of a whisper. And the fear voice outdoes, outshouts uh, that intuitive voice constantly. So when I say it's constantly talking to you, but you don't hear it, it's because I want you to know your fear voice is so much louder. So first and foremost, when I'm teaching people about intuition, I teach them to distinguish between the fear voice and the intuitive voice. Because just the awareness of which of those two things within you is trying to get your attention is enough to get you to pay attention to both instead right. of just the fear voice. Right. Does that make sense so far? Totally. I mean, I already okay. have a counter, but yes, totally. Okay. So do you want to give me the counter? I don't know. It's, I can't decide okay. if it should be now or after you're done sharing. Okay, let me finish and then okay. you tell me what the counter is. So the fear voice has certain signatures to it, certain feelings when it comes through that intuition does not have. So the first thing that I teach people when I'm teaching them how to pay attention to their intuition is that intuition is emotionally neutral. It does not have an emotion attached to it. Think about an emotion like a bag of beans, a weight that's attached to something that's right. weighing it down. Oh, sorry, a bag of beans? <laughs> what? Stones. Stones would have been better. What? I don't, it was just so odd. Anyway, go. It was odd. Sorry. <laughs> but the fear voice, when, it, when you want to make a decision on something, right? Yeah. Like for me, moving to California. Right. The fear voice has a lot to say about that decision, and it is going to have this weight to it. Whatever it has to say about that decision is going to create sadness, anxiety, right. anger, some emotion right. with it. Intuition does not have an emotional baggage weight attached to no it. No bag of beans. No bag, no of, bag beans of beans on the in, in the intuition <laughs> is bag of beanless. <laughs> It is just neutral. So that is the first exploration that I ask people to go on is so when I have a thought or a feeling, is there an emotion attached to it or does it come through like a fact? Clear, just is. There's no emotion. It's just like a fact. So for example, with your California move, it just came to you like move to California. My California move is such an intuition thing because I came out here to right. Santa Barbara for work. And the first time I was here, I just had this sense that took over me that was like, you're going to move here and you need to move here. It's going to be good for you and the family to move here. Right. And that was the first thought I had. Now, let's talk about what fear does to your intuitive knowing. Intuition comes from this unseen area, like we've talked about. It enters your consciousness Fear is trained to protect you. So fear is like a bodyguard. It is standing outside of the club being like, it's a bouncer. It's like, wait a minute, intuitive thought. Come here. Right. What are you talking about? Check yourself What are the all door. the ways that, yes, what are all the ways that this thing that you are convincing my person to do are dangerous? What are all the risks involved? What could go wrong? It is projecting, projecting, projecting 
illusions, because they're not real, about what could happen, all of the ways that that intuitive thought could steer us in the wrong direction, because remember, its job is to protect us. So it's a bouncer. So often the intuitive thought will come in and it'll be like, no, get out. So in that example, when I felt that, I knew it. I knew that this was the right move. I felt that we were going to be here. I knew I needed to be here. And for years, the bouncer was constantly filling my head with all of the reasons that I was going to destroy my life, my kid's life. I was going to be away from my mom. Then that, what was that going to mean about her as she's aging? How am I going to, you know, take care of the kids without my family around? All of these fear projections filled my head for a really long time because that's what the fear voice is trained to do. And I, I just want to interject and say a lot of those things have become issues for you. It's not as though your intuition guided you and those things were not an issue. Like you have not had the level of childcare that you had on the East Coast. I mean, these things have come to be, but you've managed to sort of navigate it in a different way. Not just navigate it, because those things came to pass, I grew and the kids grew and my family grew and our relationship with TJ changed, who's their stepfather, and he's able to be truly a co-parent now in a way that he wasn't able to before. Number two, they're able to be way more independent than they ever were before. Number three, it's allowed me to actually step into the role of mother in a way more holistic, accountable way than I ever had to before because it's us out here in the wilderness. And number four, I have for the first time in my life truly understood how friends can become family, how neighbors are so important, how community is so valuable, which, which I, I didn't think we're lacking in Maryland. I, yeah. And I think we're lacking that it. in society in a lot of ways that yeah. years and years ago of everybody helping everybody has been lost. Yeah. So the fear voice wasn't wrong. All of those things right. were uncomfortable and hard. Right. But the fear voice was saying, because they're going to be uncomfortable don't and do hard, it. don't do it. Right. Right. And intuition was saying, no, there's so much growth for you in this. Work through that fear because this is the place that you will blossom and become that next level of what you're supposed to be. So that's my answer to your question about how you can think about it in your own life when you think about it around fear. There's two other just quick tips that I like people to know when they're examining intuition versus fear, which is how you get to know your intuitive voice. So the first one I said is in your emotions. There is not an emotion attached to intuition. It is neutral. The second one is in your energy. When a fear thought comes through, it is going to be draining. It is heavy. It's going to feel exhausting. An intuitive thought is calming. It just feels like a still lake. There's no drain to your energy. It's not going to exhaust you. It's just going to calm you. So know that if you have an idea or a thought that comes through, examine whether it's draining you or it's calming you. It can also excite you. That is also intuition. That's when you're actually listening and not letting the fear thought drown it out. You can begin to get excited about what you're hearing. And then the third way I teach, which is true for most people, but not all, is that intuition shows up in your body, which is where gut feeling comes from. Interesting. Does it show up in your gut? A lot of people will feel butterflies in their stomach or a sense of something in your gut. Oh, I've never actually felt that. And I do believe I've had intuitive moments, but I've never actually felt it in my actual gut. How fascinating. But And that's why I say it's not for everyone. Other people will say they feel it like tingling in their fingers or there's a lightness in their head that all of a sudden happens. Um, They don't 
come to this unless I'm asking them to go off and explore it. So I think for you even, think about like next time you just feel like you know something, stop and check in. Is there a place in my body where I sense it? For me, it's my chest. My chest in fear is contracted. I feel like I can't breathe. Um, In intuition, it's this expansion I can't even describe. It feels big. It feels open. It feels like I could breathe just fine. So just explore it and understand it. And the reason that this is important, understanding it in your emotions, understanding it in your energy and in your body is so that you can tell the difference. And once you tell the difference, you can begin to follow the ideas and thoughts of the voice that is calming, that is neutral, um, and that might have a signature in your body that's just trying to get your attention and do what it's telling you to do. Follow it and have trust and faith and see where you land. Because as you do that, you begin to build a book of evidence in your life for how your intuition is always guiding you towards your highest good. But you have to learn how to discern it, hear it, follow it with trust and faith, even when the path gets windy, even when the discomfort of the growth shows up, and see where it lands you and use that as evidence that, ah, in fact, I am intuitive and my intuition is always and this is the rule, always in my highest good and the highest good of others. What do you think would have happened in your life if you had been encouraged as a child to oh. mind your intuitive gift and help it grow and evolve? And what, what would your life look like today, do you think? I think about that all the time. I'll tell you, I don't know that it would have changed a lot of what I did because I always followed my intuition. Always. Yeah. But I think I would have been more confident earlier. I think I've grown into my confidence as an adult. I was not this confident as an adolescent, a teenager, or like a young adult. Right. um, Because I didn't trust myself. I really believed that I made bad decisions. And those decisions literally were the next stepping stone to get me to where I was supposed to be. So they were absolutely the right decisions, but they weren't decisions that made sense to a mom or a sister who are linear in their thinking and who are rule followers and do things a certain way. Um, whereas I'm a little bit more, if they, if you, I'll use their word, chaotic in the way that I process things and make decisions. And so I think I was taught that that chaos, mm-hmm. I mean, that word inherently feels negative, yeah. makes me dangerous or, or hard to trust. And I think I'd, I would have trusted myself a lot more and maybe embodied a lot more dignity and confidence in my decision making. Well, there's still a lot of time left. I actually, that just reminded me of an example that I'm curious what your thought is. Um, I had a friend who for years was, I mean, normal, trusted her gut, that kind of nonsense and was with a boyfriend for a long time. That kind of nonsense. You know, that kind of nonsense. He ended up cheating on her and she had no clue. So after that, she developed like really bad anxiety and no longer could like hear her gut or trust her. Rather, she couldn't trust her gut because she felt like she had trusted her gut with him and it was wrong. And she got hurt really badly because of it. Do you want to hear what I would say to her? I mean, she's fine. She's married. She's, it's like all fine now, but I'm thinking about those no, no, years in between. No, no, this is between. what I would say. Yeah. yeah. So if she was sitting here with me in the years in between, I would ask her, is she sure that that was her intuition that was constantly telling her this person is being honest with you? 
Or was it a protective mechanism that was shining sunshine into her life? I'm right. not going to say the other way. What? Shining sunshine up your ass. I've never heard that. Are Is you that making this up? Statement? I might be. I think I've learned through this podcast that I make up a lot and of I really things. Interested. And then I make them sound like, duh, you should know them. This is my toxic trait. I want to make a book about all the the uh, sayings that you've created on this show. <laughs> that I try to convince you are normal. Yeah. And then I'm always like, is that me or is that her? Anyway, I don't trust my gut. I'm like, my gut's telling me that that's not a real expression. <laughs> uh, what I would say is that that is a protective mechanism as well. Because when we feel so badly, like we want a relationship to work out. Yeah. We will be in deep denial about it. And we will shut down our intuition if it feels like it's telling us something that is totally counter to the safety that we want in that relationship. I will say her, she and all of her close friends, including myself, were also blindsided completely. Yeah. So it felt like a shock to all of our cores. Like, wait a second. We had like no idea, like no yeah. idea. Yeah, it's so destabilizing. I mean, you could also be dealing with a deeply manipulative individual True. who knows exactly how to, you know. Yeah. I think there are people, I, not, I think, I know. There are people out there who know exactly how to shut down all of their energetic outputs so that you're not able to tap into their truth whatsoever. Ooh, how does one And do when that? I meet people like that, I tell TJ this. If I walk into a room and we spend time with someone – and I can't use my little intuitive tentacle to tap their energy. Right. If I hit nothing, I stay Scary. away from them. Yeah. It yeah. scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it's possible that that's who that person was. Yeah. But I also think it is often the case, particularly in romantic relationships, that we so badly want the person to be the person because our emotions are involved yeah. and we feel like we need them, that we shut down yeah. intuition so that we can stay. That happened to me in several relationships. Totally. So, I, And this is the thing. I don't want you to think when I say um, intuition is you know, emotionally neutral and not draining, that it's not going to tell you hard information. Right. Right. I'm just saying that when it tells it to you, it comes through very clearly. But we often drown out the hard information because we so desperately want the thing it's telling us we have to move away from. I think the takeaway from this episode, if I will, maybe you can even reiterate it again because we are, there's so much noise everywhere all the time. How do we best separate our voice, our inner knowing from others? Yeah. Number so three things I just want you to remember about intuition. Number one, I want you to remember what I've said about why you've been trained not to listen to it. Yeah. Be awake yeah. to when others don't want you to trust yourself. Who does that benefit? If you are being taught not to trust your inner wisdom, not to trust your knowing, who is that really benefiting? Right. That is the first thing that I really want people to think about. The second thing is to know that there is a spectrum and that on one end sits our fear self and that self is yeah. there to help us survive. And on the other end of that spectrum sits our intuitive self or our higher self. Our higher self being the highest frequency that we could operate at if we were unencumbered by fear, right? right. That higher self is communicating to us through intuition. 
Intuition is the language of your higher self. So if you look at the spectrum, you've got fear self on one side. You've got higher self. It is your most expanded self that is reaching all of its desires and dreams and purpose, communicating to you through intuition to move you closer to that life. Right. That wants you to thrive. So you've got survival and you've got thrive mode. Start to become aware of the difference between these two voices. How do they feel different? How do they project differently? And that awareness alone is going to allow you to start to choose. Yeah. Who am I going to listen to more? And then the third thing is trust and faith is the most important next step. That's the scary one. Cultivating a relationship with your intuition. That's the scary one. Because we are, yeah, we're trained for instant gratification. We want to immediately see the fruits of our labors. We want to immediately know that there is evidence that this thing is going to work out. Doesn't work that way. And in fact, I'll just, the California example I gave you guys, when your higher self is pushing you towards this thriving and expanded life, you have to be uncomfortable to get there. You are going to walk through the fire. You are going to have pain and discomfort. Yeah. A lot of times we will mistake that pain and discomfort on the journey as, oh shit, I was wrong. I shouldn't have listened. No, that is part of you expanding and growing. That is the entire point. So having trust and faith, even in the darkest of the dark night of the soul, is the only way through this place of being able to look back and say, oh, no, I was being guided for my highest good and the highest good of others. My intuitive voice is always right. It's just that we hit the exit button too soon because sometimes it gets a little too hard, a little too uncomfortable, a little too real. And then we decide our intuition is crazy, just like we've been taught to believe that it is. My last question is, do we make space for, do we allow space for the fear voice or do we attempt to block it out? I don't want you to block out any part of yourself. I just want you to know that your fear voice is trying to remind you of a much younger self that's looking for your love and attention, that it is trying to protect a much smaller, more afraid part of you that's been hurt. And if you can, instead of listening to its directions and its projections, say to it, I'm not going to do what you're saying, but I am curious what you need. Right. I'm not going to follow your projection of stop, that's dangerous. But I am going to ask you, what do you need right now? What is that smaller voice inside needing? And when you start to hear what it needs, your fear voice is such a beautiful tool to heal those younger um, parts of you that are suffering. Because every time you feel the fear, you'll remember that it's an invitation not to follow its directions, but to ask, what, what's, what's being needed right now that I'm not getting? And then you turn to your intuitive voice for the actions, for the actual following of the direction. That's the voice that you listen to when you're making decisions, but you use the fear voice to get your needs met. I want to make this more tangible because I think this is maybe one of the most important episodes. It's truly at the core of everything you do. Yeah. Just to make that aspect a little more tangible, maybe because it's my own confusion, can you apply it to, let's say, one of your fear voices before your move was, I can't leave my mom. What if my mom gets sick? So what yes. did you, so as, what were you, how did you tend to that small child who must have had that fear? What did you do to allow yourself to move past that fear? 
so much work. That invited so much healing around the anxiety that I've carried my whole life about my mom. And I became aware of the anxiety that I carry about my mom. Are you getting really emotional? Because I suddenly no, you're getting emotional. I thought I I was getting it from you. Well, because you carry the same anxiety about your mom when we've talked about it. I, it was almost like that was offered to me on a silver platter. And it was like, now what do you want to do with this? Now that you're looking at how anxious you've been about your mom. And I took it to therapy and I took it to Raya and I took it to Reiki healers and I took it to every, everyone, my naturopath. Like, let's, Look at where this anxiety sits in my system in every way. And I realized so much about it. I realized, and I write about this a lot. I don't think I could have written about this unless this thing came up to be healed, which is that as someone who feels other people's feelings, as a kid, feeling my mom's heartbreak over her relationship with my father, who was never faithful, and over being thousands of miles away from her entire family in a country she didn't speak the language in. It became my job to make my mom okay. And I believed that that was my entire function. And the anxiety was there to say, your entire function is to take care of your mom. If you're not there, she will die of heartbreak. That needed to be healed because guess what? I'm not there every day and she's thriving. She's having the best time with her best friend. They're doing their water aerobics. She's always at different lunches. She's always, she has the most like beautiful social life all of a sudden. It allowed because her to I'm grow, not there. right? It allowed her yes. to expand as well. Yeah. Really so beautiful. that's what I mean about like looking at what do you need? I really looked at what do you need? And the anxiety was like, you need to take care of your mom. And then I got to really ask, is that true? Do I have to take care of my mom for her to be okay? And what is that doing to me? What is that doing to my own ability to listen to my desires? Where did I ignore all of my desires and needs to do that job. And what did it do to your mother? I mean, she ignored this whole right? side of her, her social side and right. you know, this other feeling of being fulfilled because she was just completely committed to you as well in the same way. We were entangled. Yeah, completely. We were entangled. I'm just interjecting. Do you think that it sounds out of touch that you were like, I went to Reiki and I went to therapy and I, no, I went to the- that's part of it. Oh, okay. Because not everybody can afford to spend thousands of dollars. It doesn't on matter. It's my process. I'm just saying the whole reason I was saying let's make this more tangible was to give the listener an opportunity to do something. So I think if we're being super literal, then we can say that I'm saying to the listener, go do Reiki. But what I'm actually saying is tangibly look at what the fear is and try to figure out a way to address the fear. That's what I think is the hardest part is the way to address the fear for the average listener. That's what I think is the hardest about all of this. How do you ease that fear? I think what I'm saying is you can't avoid it. Right. You can't let the fear voice tell you just don't do it because then you're going to avoid healing the thing that's asking to be healed. Right. No matter how long it takes, no matter which way you do it. Even if it's a writing practice you do every morning on your own. The fear voice that is supposed to be protecting you is often actually detrimental Hurting to you. your yeah, to your growth. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay, Bean. So I just gave you my Top three things I want people to remember, but we can't, it won't be a signal episode if we don't do Melissa's famous takeaway. So do you have one? I just want to say that I know I'm always like the cheerleader of you. And I mean, I counter you, but I'm always cheerleading and be taking a break and then coming back and recording again and hearing all of your wisdom is like 
re-blowing my mind. It's like re-mind blowing over again. I forget how easily you blow my mind with your in, in with your thoughts and your it, your advice and your knowledge. So thank you. Um, and my takeaway is is what I think a lot of it is is really you need to give time and energy and space to what's going on inside. We all are so busy looking to distract. You have to even give energy to your fear voice and and understand what it needs and what it doesn't need um, and understand how you can sort of not, but push back that voice in a healthy way. You know, we all have these vices that we try to push the fear voices away with that are unhealthy coping mechanisms. And I think per usual, there's only one way and that's through it. Through it. It feels Love shitty, it. but it, that's the only way to get through it. But on the other side, there is this wealth of power and wisdom and clarity, and it's so worth it. That's beautiful. Bean. Namaste. Yes. I'm so glad we're back. <laughs> Me too. We have so many good things in store for We really do. I'm so excited. I love making this show with you. If you guys are still listening to us, which I hope you are, uh, just a reminder that supporting us this year would look like sharing this podcast as far and wide as you can. And also, if you could leave us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening, that helps the podcast also show up to new audiences. We've really set the intention for this podcast to reach way more people this year because we feel like the work and the message is so important to liberating and empowering people so if you want to help us on that journey that's how you can do it thank you for listening we'll see you next week bean see you next week bye bye this has been another episode of signal the podcast that raises your frequency this podcast is co-hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and Melissa Gushka. Special thanks to my production team, Anushri Fekadet, Arman Kassam, and Anais Islam. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. See you then.